This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Cheetah Chudy is co-founder with his wife, Sammy, and his parents, Susan and Stephen Chudy, of Turkey Tail Farm, a small, diversified, organic family farm serving the community of Butte County, California. Cheetah is also the founder and program director of Butte Remediation, an organization providing support to home and property owners by testing soils for contamination, targeting the contaminants with fungi capable of remediating those toxins and measuring success with follow-up fungal tissue and soil sampling. Cheetah joins me today to speak more about the life and the importance of small family farms serving their local communities and about connection and diversity as strength from a landscape perspective. Cheetah, welcome to the program. I am so pleased to be speaking with you. Thank you so very much for having me. This is a real treat. When I ask the question, what is a distilled kind of organizing principle for you in your relationship with plants and or growing right now? Because I know your growing not only includes plants, but animals and soil. What would a distilled mission for you in relationship to these other beings right now in our world, Cheetah, what would that be? So we launched the farm with a very seemingly straightforward mission of growing high quality and affordable food for our community and farming within the image of nature. And so by that, I mean circling the energy around the farm using uh, nature's own pathways to kind of achieve our own goals while trying to minimize our impact on the environment. I always shy away against using the term sustainability because I feel like it offers a lot of ambiguity. And so for us, setting the goal of farming within the image of nature allows us some broad guidelines, but uh, something that we can always return to in terms of determining how we work, what we want to be doing with the land. And And so how did you come to farming or agriculture, Cheetah? Yeah, my love for agriculture and farming came originally from a just a love and fascination of uh, nature. Originally got my start engaging with the natural world, working for the Nevada Conservation Corps, and initially starting to do habitat restoration. And from there, I kind of uh, fell into this position working at an arboretum. And that's where seeing diversity and structure and the way uh, life engages with itself outside of human control really drew me into agriculture and working with plants. And so what all at this point is included in your work? So at present, uh, the diversified farm is a 40 acre property of oak savanna and open pasture. We raise lamb, pork, uh, ducks for egg, uh, mushrooms, and value added herb products as well as cut flowers. And so really at the crux and the main principle driving the farm is that diversity is strength. And by by having this diversity all on one site, we're able to cycle nutrients around the property. So uh, our goal is to never use anything once. So when we bring feed onto the property for the animals, it becomes a source of fertility for the pasture. The byproducts of the mushroom cultivation program, this kind of spent straw material becomes feed and bedding for the pigs. And when the pigs are done with it, it becomes a source of fertility for the garden. And inevitably, when the garden starts to grow weeds, we pull the weeds and we feed them back to the sheep, which in turn uh, fertilize the pasture again. So by diversifying and adding all these levels of structure, we're able to maximize our inputs to the farm. Take us back a little bit to where you were born and raised. And you started us on, you know, the kind of very um, bullet point items of what steps led you to being where you are now. Uh, But take us back a little further, because your whole family is involved in this in in many ways. Um, Where were you born and raised? And who were the people and places and plants that grew Cheetah into a person for whom this would become uh, your life and your work and your calling? So originally, I was uh, not raised in an agricultural environment at all. Um, I was raised in the suburbs of Reno, Nevada. And it was only through happenstance that Nevada Conservation Corps 
uh, was putting out a call for employees. So initially it was just kind of grunt trail work and uh, removing invasive species, building habitat for native critters. And as part of my work there, I landed this internship at our local Arboretum. And that's kind of where my first mentor, Linda, um, kind of instilled me with this love of the natural world. And she'd take the time to show me the individual aspects of the Arboretum, the individual plants, but also the way they played together. And so um, one of my jobs was mapping this entire Arboretum and getting this landscape perspective of the different zones, the different types of uh, environments that we'd create for these plants to uh, cultivate them successfully in the harsh Nevada summers. And so upon graduating high school, I thought for sure I was going to be a conservation uh, ecologist. And so went to college thinking uh, conservation was going to be my path, started studying that and began working at an organic farm uh, as kind of a side job just so I could afford really nice food and realized agriculture was a place that I could not only have this interaction with the natural world and opportunity to uh, work towards conservation, but also it provides a degree of artistic flair and engaging in a way that, you know, you make this amazing food and you make these beautiful things happen, but you can still kind of protect the environment around you. And so once I started in this path of agriculture, another set of strong women kind of uh, took me on uh, working at ranches and uh, my professor, uh, Martha Rosemeyer, who is a huge driver in coming to the world of mycology. She was very much engaged with mycorrhizal fungi, which gardeners will know, those, mm. those underground mycelial networks that support the plants that we foster our own selves. And then from there, it just spiraled into mushroom cultivation and my own kind of farming entrepreneurial endeavors from there and uh, never looked back. First of all, what was the name of the Arboretum that you worked at in Nevada? A park called Rancho San Rafael, and it was just called the Arboretum there. It ranged everything from kind of your typical ornamentals to zero-scaped dry land stuff. Really, yeah, kind of galvanized my love of plants right there. And gave you this great overview, it sounds like, in terms of plant relationships and ecosystem community kinds of view into how you put plants together and care for them. Yeah, it's where I first really engaged with plants on a a cultivation level, but then also instilled this kind of microcosm, macrocosm perspective yeah, that yeah. continues to carry me through, you know, this landscape perspective and seeing how things can work together, but then also having attention to the individual unit, the individual plant, the individual tree, the flower, and yeah. what relationship they hold to one another. Yeah. And so you, you find this new love or, or, different lens on this same topic through engagement with agriculture and specifically the mycorrhizal relationships that pull it all together in, in a thousand different ways. Take us on the journey that leads you to Northern California and the founding of Turkey Tail Farm, because not only did you not look back, but you, uh, you, you brought a lot of people with you. Yes. Uh, so I was, Farming in Washington, graduated from college and um, had a couple of successful grants that I was working off of there. Um, at the time, my folks had reached retirement and were kind of figuring out where exactly they wanted to move next. Seeing my work there and in particular, a couple of pieces I'd written about connection to land and how for, you know, a Western European white man, my basically my, my only potential heritage is my most direct family and the meaningfulness of that and wanting to connect with that moving forward. We got this idea of a family property here. And so we looked all over California and this property here in Butte County just kind of kept coming up in the search and we kept returning to it. And there's these beautiful, uh, you know, hundred year old, hundreds of year old oaks, uh, these beautiful lichens crusting over the rocks, these symbiotic fungal algal organisms that coat every surface of the land here and seated just above the West Branch River, this beautiful body of water. And so again and again, we kept returning to it and 
you know, we saw a lot of promise in this community. My parents have, were very active in the activist community and continue to be, and were able to find engagement really early on there. And so the property really um, kind of just kept coming back to us. And so that's where we've decided to settle here. And at the time it was completely undeveloped. There was a power line running across it and a well and nothing else. And so it was truly this blank slate, a truly wild piece of land with all the bears and mountain lions and deer that come with it. Yeah. Um, rattlesnakes. And quite a few rattlesnakes. Yeah. Both my dogs have been bitten. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Uh, it's, it, I'm familiar with all of those things. So, yeah. <laughs> so what year was this cheetah that you first decided to relocate here and create the family farm and then um, take us into those those early years of Turkey Tail Farm and and how it has evolved over time. So uh, the we purchased the property in 2008 and called it Turkey Tail Farm, named after the turkey tail mushrooms that grow around here. You'll see them as these tiny little shelf mushrooms that have kind of these brown and yellow, sometimes blue stripes across them. Um, and also, it's the mushroom that I first cultivated as. Uh, my path as a mushroom farmer. And so we gave it a name and set about establishing power and water and really carving it out from bare land. So initially built enough fencing that we could contain a few animals, um, ran a generator to get water out of the well so that we could pour concrete for foundations. Um, I worked odd jobs for many, many years to sponsor the construction of a barn and all the support greenhouses and equipment that it takes to have a diversified farm. And through this, I, I worked for Chico State University and another local farm for seven years and really um, refined my skills as a gardener, meanwhile working as a mushroom farmer and livestock farmer on the side. And so really it was brick by brick, stick by stick, uh, I milled some lumber myself. I would salvage old barns and bring used material back to the ranch to build with. And through this inc incremental process, uh, we were able to build a functioning farm over time and managed to do it debt-free, which was nice. Nice is an understatement. It is. Um, and it, it, it was by very hard work and strategy and sacrifice that you did that debt free and well done you on that. It was, you know, a time honored process with many hands and a lot, again, of strategy and determination. So tell us a little bit more. You, you've talked about the the livestock and maybe maybe you want to start there. Talk about the different faces that the, the farm currently has. Um, you have a CSA for meat, but you also have the mushroom farming. And I believe your wife, Sammy, has uh, a flower C and herb CSA as well. So, yeah, again, diversity is at the core of the farm and diversity is where we draw our strength. We raise lamb for meat, uh, pork for pork, uh, pork products. We have a duck egg flock. So we have 80 ducks that we keep exclusively for eggs. Uh, we used to raise chicken, but um, after campfire, we haven't picked that pursuit back up. Um, the mushrooms go into our subscription program, our CSA, as well as several local restaurants and um, ever-expanding repertoire there. In the garden, we do value-added herb products. So these run from teas, herb salts, sage sticks, and then my wife also distills these aromatic compounds called hydrosols. And so for this, what we're doing is we're taking fresh plant matter from the garden. We put it in this laboratory grade still. We drive steam through it. And in the end, we end up with essential oils and hydrosol, which is the water fraction of the plant extract. So uh, we have products that range from aromatherapy treatments, skin treatments, and even what we call our bliss mix, which is uh, a cocktail mixer or mocktail mixer as well. So th there's definitely this division of labor um, where my folks and my wife are more in the garden these days, except when she needs heavy equipment used. And I'm the mushroom pig guy, basically. And then we <laughs> team up on everything in between. Right. Do you do your own um, butchering 
and processing of meat, or does that go off-site? All that has to go off-site um, per the USDA. So, you know, our meat sales are exclusively to our CSA customers. It's this very kind of small boutique thing. So we're able to work with some, you know, really high-quality butchers that we really respect. Um, but it's a challenge, you know, the, there's the disappearance of the small-scale butcher, you know, across the nation. And so, um, you know, it's it's a difficult trade and the pandemic has hit them just as hard as anybody else in terms of having good labor and uh, supply chain. So I want to I want to circle back to your well, there's a couple of things I want to circle back to. But the, the first one is uh, that idea of the farm kind of being couched in this beautiful landscape that is the Northern California landscape and, you know, of the oak woodlands and the very specific uh, plant palette that lives within those oaks. What elevation are you? Are you, do you have valley blue and black or do you have valley and blue oak? What's your diversity there? So we mostly have the live oaks and blue oaks around here. Mm -hmm. um, I have seen some interesting uh, valley oak, live oak hybrids mm -hmm. up here because we're learning now there's this uh, awesome hybridization of all these oaks potentially. And uh, unfortunately, most of our black oaks uh, went the way of the dodo along with the campfire. It's this really beautiful open oak savanna and so we're not socked in with a lot of understory brush and as a result it's handled fire really well in the past we were blown away to see the recovery of these trees in the wake of such devastation this is cultivating place Cheetah Chudi is co-founder with his wife and his parents of Turkey Tail Farm, a small, diversified, organic family farm providing high-quality and lovingly tended livestock, flowers, medicinals, and mushroom cultivation in the open oak woodlands of Butte County, California. Turkey Tail Farm is looking to promote appropriate technology, ecological farming, and energy-wise food production. Their goal is to become a model of practical and profitable, ecologically conscious agriculture in California's North State. They have lessons on small farming no matter where you live. We'll be right back with Cheetah after a quick break. Stay with us. Hey, good news for those of you who have asked me about transcripts for each week's episode of Cultivating Place. You have waited so patiently, and we have done it. Check out the first pass of a weekly transcript beginning with last week's conversation with Karen Colley of the Civic Garden Center of Greater Cincinnati, and one from this week's conversation with Cheetah Chudy. I would love your feedback on these transcripts. Any thoughts, constructive critiques, or encouragements about content or format are all welcome. Send any thoughts along to us at cultivatingplace at gmail.com. And thank you to Penelope and Sarah and a kind listener in Austin, Texas for your patience in getting transcripts underway. The support of donors and listeners like all of you make this work possible. We're back now to our conversation with Cheetah Chudi, co-founder of Turkey Tail Farm, a small, diversified, organic family farm. Cheetah joins me today to speak more about the life and the importance of small family farms serving their local communities, and about connection and diversity as strength from a landscape perspective. As we come back, Cheetah shares more about how the farm is trying to work with and in the image of nature, including preparing for fire and restoring blue and live oak woodland. He also shares more about how the farm and the land fared during and after the campfire of 2018 and then the pandemic. These stories hold lessons for all growers in challenging times. Turkey Tail Farm is not your typical farmland. 
much of Butte County, we have laser leveled fields and these extensive orchards. Up here were this kind of rolling uh, hillsides and uh, diverse species, a high predator pressure. It's this kind of wild land that wouldn't fit into the normal agricultural model. And so to take the normal agricultural perspective of subjugation of nature and inserting our own dynamic, our own paradigm would never work here. And we work the way we do in order to make things easier for ourselves. And in, by in, inherently, it, it promotes natural cycles. We, we don't drive the predators out. We use electric fences to protect our livestock. The high quality forage that we grow as a result of our intensive rotational grazing bring in hordes of deer uh, that come across the property at night. And so by doing so, it, by farming in this image of nature, we are not only promoting our own well-being and the quality of our food, but also the well-being of the environment around us. So maybe just a little background on the campfire itself. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting to okay. to people, not only for the value of that, but just for uh, how you know, as you say, uh, it, it the campfire altered the the face of the land, but it also maybe brought out some lessons in in resilience on on how you work with the land as well. So. Prior to the campfire, we've always used fire as a means of stewarding the land. Uh, again, returning those natural cycles, kind of getting this ladder material that presents the true risk of high intensity fires. And we'd been through several forest fires before. Um, I think campfire was my third evacuation from the farm. And so on, you know, November 8th of 2018, when we got the evacuation order, it was kind of old hat. I was pretty comfortable with the day. Uh, we loaded up all the livestock that we could and turned loose everything that we couldn't load up. And leaving the farm, uh, my thought was I'll be back in a day or two and we'll get back to work. It looked like more of an inconvenience than a catastrophe for us. And so our, our campfire day, while so many people were faced with such a traumatic event of the tunnel of fire, uh, cars asphyxiating in the road, we had a relatively leisurely morning as we prepared to leave. Little did we realize that the fire would turn back on us within a couple of days. And while the forest itself is designed to cope with these type of fire events, while the oak's bark is designed to burn, um, our homes were not. And so all my work since I was 26 years old was basically leveled within a day or two. Um, thankfully my parents' house, uh, made it and our ag commissioner, our local ag commissioner was able to get us a special permit for agricultural producers only so that we could return to our property and save the animals we had to leave behind. And so while most people were locked out of their properties for 26 days or so, I was able to return home on basically the fifth day of the fire while it was still actively burning and round up and rescue the animals that I was unable to evacuate at the time. And from there, it was a very long journey, uh, six months without power um, or proper running water, um, living right next to the ash and debris of our hand-built home, um, strictly by virtue of the fact is we couldn't go anywhere else because we had 100 animals. Um, we had some farmer friends that were happy to accommodate us um, in the short term during evacuation with our, our sheep and our ducks. Um, but upon returning home that we had no option but to continue to work the land. And it rebounded beautifully. Um, we had one of the best pasture years in memory. All that uh, fire had liberated a ton of nutrient. We had eye high oats in our pasture. And uh, once we were able to get everybody home and get back to functionality, you know, the livestock perform beautifully. Uh, you know, the problem is not nature. The problem is the structures that we put on it. And so my path moving forward was to 
restore functionality to the property. And even though my greenhouses had burned, the fungus living inside the greenhouses had actually survived. And so I was able to get back to mushroom farming right away using quite literally rainwater and firewood to cultivate these mushrooms. And so it was a solid two years before the farm started to resemble itself again. And again, I feel that's where our diversity was perhaps our strength because it allowed us the flexibility to move a little more nimbly than other farms might be able to. Because we had this diversified enterprise, there was always one thing that was being successful, even in the face of everything being destroyed. An example of that being, uh, we had a, this tremendous pasture year, and so our sheep performed beautifully, and the pigs were happy as ever, uh, despite the fact that the garden couldn't happen because we had no running water. So while it's a lot of little pieces to put together on the ranch, it is the thing that in the end probably saved our business as well. And so now take us to the mushroom farming because um, one, I would just love to hear about its structure and its diversity and the response you've and reception you've had to the mushroom farming in our region. Uh, but then I'd also like you to chat more with us about um, the, the broader uh, kind of lessons and, you know, micro remediation, you, you started to, to, to play with even more and to look at even more post fire cheetah. So fungi are my greatest passion. Most definitely. Uh, they rule the world. They are the driver of ecology and the agents that make our garden run. Um, when we talk about fungi, most people think about mushrooms, the toadstool we see as the above ground part of the fungus, but underground there's this great network of roots mycelium growing under the ground and fungi are the drivers of everything that happens in our garden so we mentioned those mycorrhizal fungi those symbiotic fungi that work in association with the roots of plants but then we also have endophytic fungi the very leaves are colonized with these symbiotic organisms that will either fight off pests or promote growth in certain ways under duress. Um, we have the parasitic fungi, the powdery mildew on our squash plants that are also an engine of change and drive the, the ecology of our garden. And of course we have the saprophytes. So these are the fungi that eat dead things. And so those are the mushrooms that I work with mostly in mushroom cultivation. Basically as a mushroom farmer, what I'm doing is I am a chef for mushrooms. I make sure that the wood chips and the straw are just to their liking so that when they dig in and eat, they're going to produce the most beautiful mushrooms that they can and the most productive yields. So when I learned about fungi, I, it kind of changed the way I saw the natural world. When I look at an individual plant, I don't just see a plant. I personally see a shivering mosaic of different fungi working in tandem, working against each other, and it creates a greater whole than just the vascular plant we see. You know, from a young age, we're, we're taught about plants and we say, oh yes, photosynthesis, here these plants are making energy from the sun. But when we exclude uh, fungi from the equation, it's, it's a very much oversimplified version of what a plant is. Um, we can't really know a plant without knowing its fungal symbionts, I feel. This is Cultivating Place. Cheetah Chudi is co-founder with his wife and his parents of Turkey Tail Farm, a small, diversified, organic family farm in interior Northern California. We'll be right back with Cheetah after a quick break to learn more about his endeavor known as Butte Remediation and its use of mycology and myco-remediation in the wake of devastating fire. Stay with us. So thinking out loud this week about support and about community and about relationships from a landscape 
level, but also from a human level. And I want to take a minute again to thank you all for listening each week. Thank you to all of you who support this weekly work, which is my life, my livelihood, and a big part of my love in this world. For every listen, for every donation, large or small, for every time one of you shares an episode or the podcast as a whole with friends or family or other gardeners, every time you tag Cultivating Place in a post or a story on Instagram or other social media, every time you send me a note or comment with feedback or encouragement, you support me. You support this work and you help Cultivating Place grow even better. We are six years into this and it is growing beautifully. Thank you. I literally could not do this without all of you. And heck, I wouldn't want to do it without you either. Happy summer, gardeners. Thank you for being here. We're back now to our conversation with Cheetah Chudi of Turkey Tail Farm, a small organic diversified family farm in Northern California. Cheetah is also the founder and program director of Butte Remediation. Established in 2018 in response to the campfire that ravaged Northern California, Butte Remediation provides support to home and property owners by testing soils for contamination targeting the contaminants with fungi capable of remediating toxins and measuring success of the remediation with follow-up fungal tissue and soil sampling. On the most basic level, this program contributes to understanding the scope and types of contaminants generated by urban firestorms and provides open source microremediation techniques that can be employed to mitigate fallout from future fires. Knowing that fungi are kind of the drivers of everything around me, it's really pressed me to continue to study more over time. And eventually that's kind of a roundabout way that I came back to fungal bioremediation. I first came to study fungi through bioremediation. So I, I learned about this experiment that Paul Stamets was doing where he was breaking down motor oil using fungi. So basically what's happening is lignin, which is the, you know, wood is comprised of cellulose and lignin. And lignin is this really irregular molecule with these really tough benzene rings in them. And what we're doing in bioremediation, or at least in this circumstance, is we're using those same fungal enzymes that are capable of breaking down lignin to break down the molecules in motor oil. When my farm burned down and I saw the kind of devastation around me and I, in my community, it brought me right back to fungal bioremediation. So there's kind of two ways fungi can be used uh, to help clean soils. One is what we call the degradation of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and other persistent organic pollutants. And that's a mouthful, I know. Yeah. But basically, when things burn, we get these hydrocarbons. Pretty much anything charred um, is a potential source of uh, carcinogen and endocrine disruptor. And again, we can use these same enzymes that are functional in breaking down wood to break down these, these molecules into their simple forms of carbon and hydrogen, where they're no longer a risk to health and human safety and the hydrologic cycle. The other way that fungi can be used in bioremediation, especially under fire conditions, is the uptake and hyperaccumulation of heavy metals. So for example, uh, when your home burns, there's a release of uh, things like arsenic and mercury and lead and all these other compounds that can get into our biology and the biology of the natural world and create major problems, um, all sorts of dysfunction and cancers and things of this sort. Fungi are capable of taking up some of these heavy metals and immobilizing them, holding on to them long enough that we can come and take them away and keep them from slipping into our rivers and creeks where they're almost impossible to extract. 
Yes. Okay. So, you know, on the one hand, you're, you're cultivating these incredibly fabulous and, you know, desired high-end culinary uh, mushrooms for, for people. But then you see this other, or you remember, or you revisit, you return to this other capacity of this entire kingdom um, that you are uh, taken with. How do you put that into um, action after the campfire? And, um, and what, what are your takeaways from that? So it initially struck me when I returned home on this uh, special ag permit. Again, the, the forest is still smoldering around me, but I take a look at the burned cars and appliances and all the things that we left behind that were then incinerated. And it immediately have concern over the implications for my organic farm. Directly after the fire event, we were going to see some pretty heavy rainstorms, and I knew I needed to do something to minimize the spread of these contaminants. And while my mushroom humidity houses, the grow houses that I grow my mushrooms in, had completely burned, the fungus inside them were still alive. So I took these living growing funguses, and I made a little trench downhill from these burned appliances and vehicles. And knowing what I knew, I installed this kind of biological barrier, a way that when this sediment bonded with all these contaminants starts to slide downhill, there's some sort of buffer, some sort of way to minimize the spread of contamination. Moving forward, I saw many of my neighbors were not getting support from FEMA and the California Office of Emergency Services because they were deemed ineligible. So I wrote a series of grants to try and go out to the community and first and foremost, uh, collect soil samples to understand uh, the types and quantities of these potential contaminants in the environment. Step two was to help minimize the spread of these contaminants on these folks' property by using these fungal barriers, these biological barriers. And then third was to resample and see if we were getting mitigation of the contaminants that we were targeting. So it was partially an aim to help my community as a way to help myself recover from the, the trauma and the damage that has been done, but also really put to the test some of these fungal bioremediation practices that have been proved in a laboratory setting but haven't really made it out into the real world for testing where any number of things can happen. And what has been the result of, of any of that, uh, of that work that you laid the foundation for right then? So we've gotten some positive results. Not every property that we tried to address was a complete slam dunk. Where fungi are really strong is those breaking down of those hydrocarbons and persistent organic pollutants. Because there, again, we're using fungal enzymes to take something that's potentially hazardous and persistent in the environment and break it back down into carbon and hydrogen. The heavy metal issue is much more difficult to manage. We did get successful uptake of the heavy metals. And so the fungi was immobilizing these materials. So they weren't able to slip downhill, get into our waterways. But then there's the continued dilemma of now we have these heavy metals in our fungi and ultimately have to dispose of them the way we do with the rest of this ash and debris, which is taking it to the dump. Um, and from there, I ended up uh, networking with several other bioremediation uh, authors, as well as groups that are doing similar work um, in our area here in California. And so been able to cross-pollinate with other organizations and we're going to continue to work on the issue moving forward to see how fungi might be part of the solution. It's only one aspect of it. It's not a silver bullet, but it has potential and a kind of resilience that you don't necessarily see in plants. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a resilience that when partnered with plants, you know, again, in this image of nature, you know, as, as you described the land right from the beginning of the conversation, you know, it is a landscape that is covered in, in uh, fungal relationships, in algal relationships, and um, to see those more visibly and then be able to work with them or have them work uh, with us is, uh, is just 
you know, expanding our own potential as as gardeners, growers, remediators, animal husbandry, and I don't know, whiffery. Uh, it, you know, it just seems like there's so much to learn right there. And and again, is this fantastic um, opportunity to remember how little we actually know about so much of this, um, these lives that, that we live with every day, which I think is uh, a great lesson for anybody. When you then look at Turkey Tail Farm and all of its endeavors, as well as Butte Remediation. I think that's its total name, isn't it? And and you look at then how you entered into the pandemic. You know, are there, are there, you know, a handful of things that you would offer out to other small landholders, farmers, gardeners as you know, lessons that you are, you are learning as you go in, in this practice of yours with your family, with the land, with the animals, with the, the, the wild environment around you, Cheetah. I feel as small farmers and rural landowners, we have many more opportunities uh, to kind of continue our life and advance our life during a pandemic than many other people do. Um, especially with the diversified farm, we've definitely seen some impacts in terms of chain supply and availability of labor and things like this. Um, but we also had the flexibility. I mean, here in the woods, we have this kind of unique food sovereignty in terms of uh, by just simply sterilizing wood and having a little bit of finesse, I can turn the fruits of the land into literal fruits and continue to feed people despite all the setbacks and the troubles in the world. You know, I, I think one of the things we as a general American economy fail to remember is just how uh, important the link in our lives are of small family farms, like truly small family farms, not these big, you know, advertisements we see from, I don't know, Syngenta on what a family farm looks like and a lot of like music and, you know, shiny light behind them. Um, but like the actual flexibility that you had to keep feeding your community is an incredible illustration of something that we fail to see and therefore fail to value. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think the pandemic has perhaps uh, shown some of the problems in industrialized agriculture as we saw supermarket shelves go bare and meat facilities. Um, being ground to a halt based on pandemic explosions and overcrowded work conditions. And for us out here in the woods, it was pretty much business as usual. And that's kind of the magical part of my job is this barnyard alchemy where we can take byproducts of one part of our farm and turn it into a food in another aspect. I can take the trees around me and turn them into these delicious mushrooms just with a little bit of heat and finesse. And so while we kind of get forgotten sometimes in terms of being producers, uh, I feel like it's really been our time to shine and provide food for our community when people really felt unsure about food chain. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about, you know, your work as the pig and mushroom guy and Sammy's work as the, you know, herb and flower farmer and your, your parents who are not only, uh, you know, environmental activists and communicators in the community, um, but, uh, you know, another level of structure there at the farm. What are your greatest joys in this work? I mean, it's hard work and you watched your, you know, your whole, your whole house go, um, but you saved your animals, you know, like there's this, this constant dynamic balance of, of hard and beautiful. What are your greatest joys, Cheetah? There's so many lovely moments in the day that make the sore muscles uh, just kind of quiet themselves. You know, we, we just had this litter of 14 piglets the other day and you know, it's the shining part of my morning is seeing how much they've grown overnight and how good the mother's being. Um, you know, I 
I work with dog training and this kind of interesting relationship between our guardian dogs and our herding dogs and the sheep and this kind of understanding that happens there and the dynamics that happen there. Mushroom cultivation is definitely my passion, not only in these aspects of potentially, you know, healing the land and being functional in uh, recovery from disaster, but my everyday work is just so interesting and always so challenging. Um, you know, we, we have this main crop of oyster mushrooms, but this year we will be adding shiitakes and lion's manes and turkey tails and cordyceps all to the mix, each one with its own unique personality and nuance to learn. And of any of the modalities that we do around here, if any of our pursuits, you know, I, I can understand what, what the plants are trying to tell me, but nothing really speaks to me the way the mushrooms do. They really have a voice of their own. And a big part of my job is just quieting my own self enough that I can hear it. And so that's, that's the ongoing um, joy, challenge, passion. And uh, I don't see that ever changing. Yeah. If you were to offer out to listeners, to home gardeners out there, some resources for one, small diversified family farms and farming, but two, for, uh, you know, mushroom and or fungal uh, knowledge, learning, what might those be? Because I, I think they will be really interested in following up on, on these two aspects of, of your, your life and work. So when it comes to small farming, there's almost too many resources to cite just one. Um, you know, when it comes to garden gardening, uh, Elliot Coleman is my go-to in terms of uh, how to manage a garden effectively. Um, I'm a Joel Soliton fan when it comes to pasture-raised livestock. Uh, I've countless men mentors in my own past that have given me little jewels of wisdom. Uh, my mycology teacher that said, hey, sometimes we don't need all this extra technology, just a little bit of care and finesse can get us there. Um, my livestock teachers that showed me how to read animals and, you know, cite illness before it aged lands. Um, ATRA, um, Appropriate Technology Center, is a great resource for kind of these overarching simple ways to go about appropriate technology and increasing efficiency on your farm. Um, Western SARE, uh, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education, is a granting entity that's given me quite a few um, grants in the past and continues to be a resource for small and diversified farmers alike. Um, I will be uh, continuing to give free workshops moving forward. And I've got a couple more ideas on how I might be able to do more free events for folks. Um, and then you can also uh, go to either one of our websites, uh, turkeytailfarm.com. And then my bioremediation work is all published on butteremediation.com. And there I have also several YouTubes that give you basic introduction to fungal biology all the way through low-tech mushroom cultivation techniques that you can do at home with just a, a garbage can and a hose, basically. So uh, we're always open to talking to people. Come find us at the farmer's market or one of our events, and um, I can talk agriculture all day, So, <laughs> and especially mushrooms, yeah. Is there anything you would like to add uh, for for anybody uh, about the importance of this work in our world in this time? It's, yeah, okay. In this time, yeah, I think that's the thing that really nails it for me. We are in a totally different world from where we were a few years ago, right? We've had this um, pandemic that's kind of shown us the holes in our armor. And now amidst uh, looming wars, we're seeing huge increase in all commodity prices and fuel. And for your small farmer, that margin is going to hit harder than you realize. And so um, I'd say go meet a farmer. Uh, if you can get it directly off the ranch, that's great. If you can go to a farmer's market, if you can um, go to your local restaurant that features local farmers, um, both the restaurants and the growers are hurting right now. And your support means everything. And if you can support us, I guarantee we're going to be here to support you. Beautiful. 
Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today, Cheetah. I appreciate uh, your philosophy and your practicality in our world today. Thank you so very much for having me. Such a treat. Cheetah Chudy is co-founder with his wife, Sammy, and his parents, Susan and Stephen Chudy, of Turkey Tail Farm, a small, diversified, organic family farm in Northern California. He is also the founder and program director of Butte Remediation in Butte County, California, contributing to an ongoing understanding of the scope and types of contaminants generated by urban firestorms and providing open source micro-remediation techniques that can be employed to mitigate fallout from future fires or similarly devastating environmental events. Join us again next week when at the height of warm season crops, we are in conversation with Jeff Quattrone, an heirloom seed advocate and activist in Southern New Jersey, where he has dedicated the last decade or more of his life to the preservation and dispersal of the histories and genetics of Jersey tomatoes, born and bred right there over the past century. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. For many images from the family farm life of Cheetah Chudy at Turkey Tail Farm or his work with Butte Remediation, head on over to cultivatingplace.com and look for this week's show notes and now transcript under the podcast tab there. That's all at cultivatingplace.com forward slash podcasts. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.